Grossman for the Appellant Continental Resources. Uh, I'd like to reserve three minutes for rebuttal. May it please the Court. This case involves a claim under North Dakota law for lost use and access to subsurface property known as poor space that is owned by appellees Rick and Rosella Fisher. Poor space is used to store or dispose of liquids or gas, and the Fishers claims that they suffered loss of, use, loss of use and access to the poor space beneath their surface estate as a result of Continental's disposal of salt water through an injection well on their property. But the evidence at trial was unequivocal. The Continental on net withdrew hundreds of millions of barrels of water from the reservoir that encompasses the Fisher's poor space and thereby increased the available capacity of their poor space. The expert witnesses on both sides agreed that Continental's injections did not impair the Fishers from accessing or using their poor space for any purpose. You're, now you're attacking the jury verdict, right? Yes, Your Honor. That's a big, that's a big hill to climb. Your Honor. In the, in the appellate court. It may, that may well be so, Your Honor, um, but I think it- The law says it's so. It is, Your Honor, but I think it's important that in this case, um, the court, in its decision on the, part, on the party's post-trial motions, misapprehended the, legal, the applicable legal standard, and under that legal standard, um, the evidence was unequivocal that there was simply no loss of use or access. So I agree, Your Honor, that that is a difficult standard for us, but in this instance, there was simply proof of trial uh, that there was no impairment of the Fisher's poor space. And I'd like to focus on that issue this morning and address... Is, is that the standard, that it has to be impairment as opposed to compensation for the use? Uh, Your Honor, there has to be a loss. Um, that's what the statute says. Um, the statute provides that the amount... Uh, the up a minute. Do you agree that Mossberg, the discussion of this issue in Mossberg, is controlling? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, and they, they didn't talk about loss versus, you know, positive versus negative. They called, talked about probative evidence. Your Honor, Mosser helps us and supports the argument that we're making here regarding the statute and regarding the nature of the loss that must be proved to support the claim. Um, I would focus the Court specifically on paragraph 29 uh, of the Mossberg opinion. Um, that interprets and applies the same statute and it identifies the precise nature of the loss that is at issue in a claim like this one regarding injection wells injecting into poor space. Um, Mosser recognizes, first, that the statute on its face does require a lost use and access, and it spells out the nature of that lost use and access that will support a claim like the Fishers. The nature of that lost use, and a uh, lost use of or access of poor space is the inability to use a portion of the poor space in the future. That's not what it says. I mean, paragraph 30, I think, is more relevant than paragraph 29. Paragraph 30 speaks to the relevant, uh, the, the relevant evidence that right. may, the, the evidence that may support a claim for damages in the case. Uh, in other words, the quantum of damages that may be available. But paragraph 29, I think, is important for the Can question. Just, why isn't the developer's use probative evidence of the surface owner's loss of use? Your Honor, I think in this instance... Answer that question and then can go back to where you want to go. Your Honor, Mosser re recognizes that injections into a... about what Mosser says. I asked a question, a fact question. As... Why is, or actually a relevance question, a probative evidence question. 
Well, I think you have to take two piece, two separate, separate types of evidence in tandem here. And the first directly. So you don't want to, all right, you don't want to answer. The I question. do wish to answer your question, Your Honor. Come close. You haven't even started. So first, um, Mazur recognizes, and we don't dispute this, that a plaintiff in a claim like this one may make a prima facie claim by demonstrating injections into that plaintiff's pore space. So it is relevant in that sense. But Mosser goes on to recognize that the nature of the loss that supports the claim uh, is the inability of the surface owner to use a portion of their pore space in the future. And so that implicates... I'll answer my question. So it is probative evidence, Your Honor, but at the same time... When you say there's no evidence, you, you have your back, you, you're conceding that that's, that's an inaccurate argument. I don't think that's correct, Your Honor, because... I can't, I can't reconcile your a concession that the developer's use can be probative evidence of loss of use with your assertion that there was no evidence in the record regarding a loss of use. Let me clarify, Your Honor. So Mazur says that if there is an injection of the sort that occurred here, that that's, that creates a prima facie case for damages for compensation under the statute. We accept that and we're not arguing with that. But Mazur goes on to clarify that the nature of the loss at issue, what is, what is necessary for liability, is the, is the loss of use in the future of a portion of the poor space. And so in a case like this, where you have evidence that the available capacity of the poor space actually increased, then there isn't that sort of loss of use. Um, and so... There's a, there's a, the, the, um, um, oh, what's, what's the, what's the, uh, the use, lim the limitation to 30, 30 million, the, the um, your limit, your li the, the, the unit is limited to th disposing of 30 million, right? Uh, the, the, the particular well-permitted issue, yes, Your Honor. Yes, that's, that's the, the NDOC, what do you call it, the, um, the aquifer exemption uh, amount. The, in addition to the permit, you, the, the aquifer exemption is limited to 30 million barrels injected. And your client has injected 8 million. Now, why isn't that almost per se a limitation on potential future use? Two things, Your Honor. First of all, the permit sets a limit, but the limit doesn't tell you how much space is left. Uh, it, how much space is left in the in what, what the available capacity of the poor space is. Pardon? It just tells you when you're going to violate the permit. It, Whether or not there's space left, you've violated the permit. Your Honor, I think the way to look at this. I mean, imagine that you have an underground storage tank. The relevant question here is whether the level in that tank has gone up or down. If the level has gone down, there is no indication that somebody else could not be able to obtain a subsequent permit. And the challenge here... So you just say the limit the limit's irrelevant. No, Your Honor. It's not. It's violations. Your Honor, the limit is binding on Continental with respect to the operation of its well. Um, but the limit doesn't tell you what the... What Isn't it binding on all... Those who would inject into the well? No, Your Honor. It's a permit that was issued to Continental for the operation of this particular well. Um, and as, as I said... What's your, can, you, can you cite the language in the permit or the regulation that would confirm that, that the, the limit in the permit is no limitation on the, 
the surface owner independent op operations? Uh, Your Honor, we did cite the relevant statutory provision in our reply brief, and I would also note that the district... I want the language in the permit that's the, in the exemption that says that. It, so that if I was the lawyer for the surface owner, I would say, oh, you don't have to worry about the, the, the aquifer exemption limit. Your Honor, two things. First, the district court addressed this issue, and I would direct the court to page 80 of the appendix, which recognizes that the law doesn't actually, that the permit applies only to Continental, and that the law doesn't provide any restriction on its face that may apply uh, to other uh, other persons to obtain a permit or anything of that sort. But the second point I would make is that the permit, the fishers are not suing over Continental's permit. What the fishers are, what the fishers are suing over are the injections and how those injections they used have up. to prove is loss of access or use or other diminution in, in their, their interest. Yes, Your Honor. The question is how to, how did they do that? And you say they didn't even try, and I'm trying to point out that I think the record belies that assertion. Your Honor, we don't dispute that they made a... I studied the record, but just from the, just from the briefs and reading Mosser and kind of putting two and two together, your position is, is um, well, if you, 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 could have convinced, you could have convinced a jury of this position, but you didn't. Well... You, you your client... Well, Your Honor, if I could just say two things. The, the first is, we think Monster helps us because it identifies the nature of the loss, and the nature of the loss is using up ca available capacity of the pore space such that the surface owner cannot use that available capacity in the future. That's the first point. Um, is that the only way to, to determine a diminution in the landowner's property? Theoretically, there might be other ways to do it, but in this case, that was the nature, that was the theory of the plaintiff's case, just as in Mosser. So if the plaintiff wants to identify some other type of use, then that's something they would have to put forward. Here, the nature of the use at issue. I mean, that's the only way they argued it to the jury. I don't care about their theory going into the case or, or in defense of summary judgment motions or whatever. What matters is, is, since you're arguing there was absolutely no evidence to support the verdict, what's relevant to me is how was it argued to the jury? It was argued to, to the jury that they suffered a loss of use because of Continental's injections. Right. And, the, and, the, and the use that was at issue regarded the capacity of the poor space, that's just as in Mosser. use you put at issue. Well, and second, <laughs> then there was this, then the, the district court thought there was a, you know, the... the um, What's the common law term that was used that you say was, he was just wrong? What was your second point? The second point was simply regarding the evidence, which is that both sides sought to address the issue of loss of use through expert testimony, and both experts recognized that Continental's withdrawals from the reservoir reduced the pressure uh, in the fissures pore space and that that has the natural effect of increasing its available capacity. Was there anything in the record or evidence adduced about the impact on the water? On the water quality? Yes. No, Your Honor. Uh, the fisheries expert was specifically uh, asked about that, and, there and he conceded uh, that there was no indication that the quality of the water in the reservoir had been impaired. Uh, and there was also no evidence or any testimony at trial about any type of threshold or limitation that might affect future injections based on water quality or anything of that sort. 
Was there some question, though, whether these withdrawals had a direct relationship on capacity or whether there were complications in the way the system fit together? Yes, Your Honor. There was extensive uh, questioning and testimony on that uh, as to both sides' experts. And both sides' experts testified that the Fisher's property was well-connected to the broader reservoir. And they both testified that when you remove water from the reservoir, that drops the the pressure in the reservoir and thereby increases the available capacity for injections. Again, this was not a case where you have like a battle of the experts. They both agreed on on those principles and how they applied to the Fisher's property. Counsel, did you wish to address the damages question? Um, Given my time, Your Honor, I'm happy to uh, rest on our briefing for that question, and I would reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal if I could. All right. Thank Thank you, you. Mr. Grossman. Mr. Bratton. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. I'm Derek Broughton. I represent Rick and Rosella Fisher, farmers who farmed and ranched on the border of Montana and North Dakota their entire lives and whose land is at issue in this case, this case which has been going on for a decade and finally culminated one year ago in a jury trial in the District Court of North Dakota. And it's that jury's verdict that's being attacked here. And at Continental's request, That jury was asked, do you find that the Fishers suffered any lost use or access to the subsurface of their property because of Continental's drilling and operation of its disposal well? And they checked the box, said yes, based on the evidence they heard at trial and the arguments they heard. And they were asked to state the amount they awarded for lost use and access, and they returned their verdict. It's that verdict that Continental is asking you to invade and overturn. And I want to talk about the evidence in the aquifer exemption, but I want to reiterate briefly what this court has said about the evidence it considers, because North Dakota is... I don't think you need to do that. Okay, Your Honor. We know the standards of review. Then I'll also move on, and I want to note one thing, which is that Judge Miller, who presided over this case, indicated that regardless of the jury's verdict... He should have ruled as a matter of law that lost use and access was there as a matter of law. What are you you saying now? Judge Miller, when he... Where? At what time before or after the jury ruled? Both, Your Honor. Judge Miller... Give me a a cite. I've I've read what he wrote, and I haven't read all of it. that's That's kind of extraordinary. In Judge Miller's response in his uh, opinion on the motion for a directed verdict, he indicated that it was probably error to even give the question to the jury because as a matter of law... Page number, appendix, or somewhere. I mean, this is, this is to me, silly, but go ahead. Document 213 in the record. Footnote 2. In fact, given that no reasonable juror could have concluded otherwise, what the court probably should have done was not ask the first interrogatory set forth in the verdict form, and more clearly... That's dicta. Go ahead with the argument. Well, Your Honor, this judge has ruled on this specific law and indicated that not only was the evidence sufficient, but as a matter of law, 
the mere use and occupancy of that poor space is a lost use. And that is what he said in his opinion. Wait, where did, where did the Supreme Court of North... That's a magistrate judge in the district court interpreting North Dakota law, which is our ultimate responsibility, and we look to the Supreme Court of North Dakota. And I don't read Mosser as, having, as saying that. Judge I, Miller... Mosser praised his analysis in the earlier case, but it did not say... And, and well, in Mosser cites that the, stat, the legislative history makes clear that, that uh, this is strict liability that the legislature wants to have enforced against developers. But that doesn't come close to saying, as a matter of law, a developer always interferes with the use and a surface owner's use and access. Judge Loken, question number five that was certified to the North Dakota Supreme Court by Judge Miller, who tried this case, asked, must the surface... I don't care what was certified. I care about the answer. And the answer was no to the question, must the surface owner prove some damage other than the mere occupancy? Answer, no. Question five, certified by Judge Miller. To page number in Mosser, please. I... This is question five as referenced in Judge Miller's opinion, document 213. I, I, they, they went down each question in Mosser. It's question five in the Mosser decision. It was the question five that was but certified. Where, where's their answer? Well, That's I, the law that we follow. It's their answer to question number five. I think they lumped it with others. Well, the answer was no to that question. Give me the page number in Mosser. I'm looking at the opinion. I've got it highlighted, but I don't have this highlighted. I didn't read this in it. Paragraph 25 lists out the questions and refers to the question, must the surface owner prove some damage other than mere occupancy? Okay, I see that. Can a surface owner recover damages for developers' use? Yes. And they answered no to that question. You're talking about the end of paragraph 30. The last sentence says, we conclude certified questions three through six may be determinative of this action and answer no to questions three through five. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, I am. Okay, Thank well, you, Judge Colleton. Colleton is how you say it. Colleton. I apologize. Thank you. My, my parents would be happy. <laughs> I'll also point out that Judge Miller held this trial in abeyance and continued it temporarily, waiting for the decision in the Northwest Landowners Association versus State of North Dakota case, because Continental intervened and defended that law there. And that law was struck down as unconstitutional under both the federal and state constitutions. And Continental had argued that the Fisher's ability to recover would be cut off when that law went into effect. Both the state district court and the North Dakota Supreme Court struck down that law and they did so because in North Dakota, private property is sacrosanct. Our district court said recently in the WBI case that was cited that it's in the blood of North Dakotans to defend their private property. And that's the context under which these federal judges have interpreted this law that has maintained a balance okay. in North Dakota. Why don't you talk a little bit about the evidence in the case? Uh, assuming... I understand your first argument is Mosser is on point, and you say it concludes that uh, mere occupancy is sufficient. But 
if you go further than that and get into this question whether the withdrawals uh, balanced out the injections. Thank you, what Your do, Honor. What do you say to that question? Is, is it undisputed, as the appellant says, that the withdrawals uh, allowed for the same occupancy even after the injections? It's absolutely not undisputed. Um, we cited two evidence that indicates the contrary, and I'd like to explain that, starting with our expert, Paul Button, who is a reservoir engineer who runs an oil field. The volumetric limit, 38 million barrels, that is a calculated limit, and the, the way that calculation is done is significant and important and ignored by Continental. Because what we're talking about, of course there is a change in the water quality in the aquifer. That's the whole point of getting an aquifer exemption, is that you're going to change that water quality from drinking water to something that is not at that level. But that's irrelevant here. The point is that when they apply for that exemption, they are asking to essentially contaminate a certain geographic area of that reservoir, of that aquifer. Now at trial, put into evidence was a big rock. And the point was simply that we're talking about an aquifer that is not an underground lake. It is water that is held within the pore space of rock. Water does not move through rock like it does through a river. And that 38 million barrels, the way that's calculated is because when they ask to exempt that aquifer, what they're saying... But, but that's not the question here. If, if the surface, if your clients have no concern or interest in the water quality or maintaining the water quality, why does the, why does the, the contamination limit, which is based on drinking water quality control at regulation in North Dakota, why does that matter to, to loss of user access? If they have no, if they're, if all of their identified present, past and future uses are, do not depend in any way on quality. Why is this argument of any relevance? Because there is a limit to the amount of fluid that can be injected into their pore space that they own. And that limit is based on a quarter mile exemption. And that quarter mile exemption... That gets back to, that gets back to what I asked opposing counsel. Does that, does that apply to your client's use after Continental is gone? If Continental, Under the Mosser, if Continental insert, in, injects over the course of its use 30 right up to the aquifer limit, does that affect in any way your client's future use? Yes, because it prevents my clients from injecting anything into that aquifer, how, how into do, that how reservoir. I mean, the council says wrong. Right, and I'm explaining that, Judge Locken, because that quarter mile limit. Loken. I'm sorry, Your Honors. Judge Go Logan. for two. <laughs> this is Smith. I, can, I got that one. <laughs> 38 million barrels is a calculation based on a quarter mile. That does, but it's, it's a limit on the developer. No, Your Honor. It's a mathematical limit that is calculated What's by determining authority? how much What's fluid. What's authority for that? It's in the aquifer exemption at Exhibit 250 where it states the injection volume limits are imposed in order to ensure that all injected fluids will remain within the boundaries of the exempted portion of the aquifer. 
the EPA is satisfied that the exemption boundary is sufficient for the volume of fluid being injected. The NDIC has limited the total volume allowed based on poor volume calculations to help ensure the injectate you stays know, within the boundary. What you just read doesn't, if, if, it's in, if it's in the Continental's permit, it doesn't identify all future users. It says, what, it says this is the limit for Continental. And John Macbeth, the expert for Continental, talked about the Lonesome Dove 121, which is within a mile of the Lonesome Dove 4217 on our property. And I asked him, why not, if, if your water balance theory is correct, and every time you're taking water out of this aquifer system, you're creating pore volume beneath our pore space. That's also true of the Lonesome Dove 121 less than a mile away. So why not just keep using that and not put a new disposal on our property at $3 million? And he said, well, it's at capacity. What does capacity mean? They can't take anymore. What do you mean less capacity? There's less ability to pump into it. Why? Okay, I, I, you know, I understand all that, and I understand what the answer to that would be, and we haven't got time to go for you and I to debate it all day, which is obviously what you'd like to do. Let me, let me, ask, let me ask a different question. How can the amount others are paying for saltwater disposal be evidence of the value your clients lost? Because that's what my client has lost. Only if you're right about the, 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 that the 38 million or 30 million is a, is a restraint on your client. And that's what the evidence shows because it is a mathematical restraint. The jury didn't, didn't, the jury concluded otherwise. I don't all, all, the only question is, is there a re, is, it was the jury wrong as a matter of law or right? I don't think the jury did conclude otherwise. The jury agreed with everything I'm saying right now because I made this exact argument to that jury based on the evidence I'm relaying right now. Could you go back to what you were trying to say about the withdrawals and why they don't balance out the injections? You started talking about if, that, and I don't know that you ever got to the... If the withdrawals... Line. So these withdrawals are coming from water supply wells in this aquifer, in this reservoir of rock, several miles away. And we have another injection well less than a mile away from us. And that injection well has a similar limit, and they've been using it for decades. And it is now at capacity. And he's even saying, Macbeth is saying, at 637, there's pressure limitations. How can there be pressure limitations underneath that disposal when they reach that limit calculated by the EPA as the volume that keeps the water within that quarter-mile boundary if they're actually creating pore volume by withdrawing water three, four miles away. It's because they're not. This is governed by Darcy's Law. It is a physics principle and a mathematical principle, and calculations can be run. And these calculations were not run by either expert. But what we have to understand is that water under Darcy's Law moving through these subsurface aquifers, it moves, pressure moves, but we had a geologist talk about how it moves. It moves in geologic time. Geologic time is not the same. Decades of injections at the Lonesome Dove 121 have led them to push water a quarter mile. That's what we're talking about. This well has just over a million barrels. 38 million barrels is going to take them decades. 
And the whole purpose and point of that calculation for that volume limit is that that 38 million barrels they're going to inject over the next several decades will not move that water more than a quarter of a mile. And they're trying to tell you that pulling water from three miles away is creating pore volume underneath our surface? That's not right, and it's not math. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you, Mr. Broughton. Thank you. Uh, just a few points on rebuttal. Uh, first, Judge Miller's, uh, I, I agree with the thrust of Judge Loken's question that this court will have to que uh, address the question as a matter of North Dakota law of the effect of net withdrawals. Judge Miller's view, and it, 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 it uh, really colored his entire decision on the post-trial motions, was that as a matter of law, Continental's mere use, irrespective of the effect uh, on the available capacity of the fisheries poor space was enough for liability. That colored every every decision, every uh, sub decision that was made of part as part of that order. Why is that wrong under question five? Answer no. Um, again, Your Honor, I would point you to uh, paragraph 29, which identify uh, of the opinion, which talks that the loss of user access is potential future use. And so if the available capacity, the, if the available capacity has increased, there is no loss of potential future use. Okay. Uh, Why do you say that his conclusion there colored the, that's just your hypothesis, that he must have been subconsciously influenced by that? Because the rest of his analysis is as written, is independent of that first question. His analysis of the evidence, Your Honor, takes it as a given that if the very fact that Continental is injecting into that well is sufficient, is a sufficient basis for liability irrespective of the effect of available capacity. He doesn't address the net capacity issue that really is the heart of this case. Um, so far as the evidence is concerned, I would point the court to the Fisher's expert's testimony at page 469 of the appendix, where he uh, testifies that the entire reservoir is connected, including to the Fisher's property. That's our whole point here. The data here shows that this is all together and that withdrawals from nearby affect the Fisher's property. And that's not the only evidence of it. There was direct evidence of pressure from the Fisher's well, from the well on their property going into their poor space that showed that the pressure had decreased. That's at page 625 and 626 of the appendix. Finally, uh, the Fisher's argument with respect to the permit is simply speculative. They aren't challenging a regulatory program here. They're challenging the effect of Continental's operations. And the effect of those operations was to reduce the available. Uh, let, to me ask you, let me ask you this. Given the, I see every indication that the North Dakota legislature expects surface owners to recover under this provision. So based on your view of, of this case, how would, how would the fishers have, have been able to prove? What would have been sufficient to get them the 22,000 the jury awarded them? I think if they had presented some evidence to rebut uh, the showing by their own expert, uh, as well as other evidence, that if they, if, they had, if they had in some manner rebutted the showing that the available capacity of their poor space had actually increased oh, okay. as a result. Suppose, but suppose your theory about capacity space is correct. Does that mean, so that means no surface owner anywhere in this unit, and probably all the other units, can ever recover under this statute. Because you'd say that the, the science is such that there's, not, there's no damage. And everything in Mosser and the legislative history 
and the declaration that the amendment is unconstitutional, all of that suggests that the legislature expects there to be recovery. And, and they, it, so, okay, they have to prove loss of access or use or other diminution of value. Give me an example of, of a case or a hypothetical where the surface owner would recover. That's easy, and my friend discussed such an instance. If you have a well, for example, a vertical well, like the other well that he was talking about that is not well-connected to the reservoir... I want to talk th- a unitized uh, a unit In a unitized... Well, th- that, is, that is part of the unit, Your Honor. But in that instance, the pressure in the well went up, and so the same genre of evidence that was put on in this case regarding well pressure would it's prove only, in that it's case... only capacity. That's the only way they can recover is to satisfy your expert's view of... Of it wasn't just our experts' view, Your Honor. It was the okay. pla- Fisher's uh, your, expert your, as well. Your litigation view. What I'm saying, Your Honor, is that it would be the same genre of evidence. Free ride in the state of North Dakota under this statute. That's what I'm getting at. No, Your Honor. Tell me, tell me, except for a single vertical well. Yeah, well, they're all horizontal wells if they're going to be maximize secondary recovery, right? Your Honor, Continental recognizes under North Dakota law that it has to pay for any lost use or, or access that it has imposed on surface owners. You haven't got, you haven't got, except your, except your strange vertical. Your, your Honor, my understanding is that this is something that's going to vary has on a situation by... Has any other, has any other surface owner recovered under the statute? Your Honor, Your Honor, there's been very limited uh, case law under this. That wasn't an answer to the question. Um, How about the certified case? As a practical matter, Your Honor... Was there a recovery? Uh, I do not recall, Your Honor. I, I, I believe that ultimately there was a settlement, but I'm not 100% certain of that. I will say that as a general matter, the, a case going to litigation is quite anomalous. Typically, there are negotiations that result in an agreement between the parties, and of course, that's done against the backdrop of the law. That's nearly what happened in this case. Your client rolled the dice in hopes of getting... Um, nullifying uh, this this recovery. Uh, Your Honor, the record actually reflects that there were extensive ne- uh, settlement negotiations between the parties. I know. And I, I, obviously it's not relevant. There were extensive settlement negotiations, and the Fishers came back to court and sought to obtain millions of dollars uh, for Continental's injection oil. So I don't think it's Continental that rolled the dice here. It was the Fishers who sought millions of dollars and wound up getting a jury verdict for 20000 Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you.